Good morning. It's a joy to be able to welcome you on this Lord's Day. We are truly thankful that you're here. Uh, I look out over our assembly today and I see several who are visiting with us. And we are truly grateful that you've come our way today. We want to make you feel welcome. And uh, we want you to want to come back and be with us anytime that you have an opportunity. Today, of course, is a, a special day for my family. We begin our 13th year of work with this church. It's hard to believe that that much time has gone by. I'm going to share with you just a couple of photos. Uh, I haven't received permission to use these, so I might be in trouble. But at least I can eat lunch where I want to today, so that may uh, come good coming from it as well. Now, this is Jody and myself. Right after we got married, we'd started our first work. And, of course, you can see the 80s look there that's very obvious. You know, the late 80s are still in force. It's amazing how Jody hadn't changed, didn't it, through the years. And I've still got that suit. Of course, it's in storage, but I'm just kidding. But uh, anyhow, that's, that's how we looked a long, long, long time ago. I just had to, to pop that photo in as well. You know, my daughter, my oldest, has used the argument two or three times, you know, Dad, this isn't the 80s. Well, that makes you feel old. When I was her age, we said this isn't the 50s. So uh, time does go by. Uh, this next picture is just a couple of... Uh, couple of weeks before we started here. It was my birthday and I was at home. We was getting ready to move and of course the kids were very young at that particular time and notice how I have no gray hair when I moved here. It just didn't exist so I don't know who's to blame for that but I wanted to share that photo with you as well. Uh, Many of you were not here uh, when the people first saw these folks here. You, you know, you don't know who these folks are. And so I just wanted you to see what people have looked like in the past. And uh, changes do take place. This morning for the next few minutes, I want us to talk about how you can help the Lord's church to grow. I think another title for this lesson simply could be how you can go to heaven. Because I believe the very same things that are essential for the church to grow are the same things that are essential for us to go to heaven. If the Lord's church is going to grow, we must want the church to grow. We might as well just forget about growing unless we have that desire for the church to grow. And I think we need to believe the church can grow. You know, the Bible emphasizes again and again that it's possible for the church to grow, that the church can, in truth, make great progress. And if the church is going to grow, every member has to be involved in the work. It can't just be a a specialized group of people that are going to make the church grow. Every member working together will make the church to grow. There's a job for you to do in the Lord's kingdom. And so I ask this question today, what can I do? What can you do as a member of the body of Jesus Christ to help the Lord's church to grow in this place? I just want to suggest some basic underlying reasons and principles that I believe will 
help us toward this goal. May I suggest first of all today that one way that we can really help the church to grow, and this must be true if it is to grow, is that we must realize that our lives here upon this earth are brief and uncertain. We need to realize that time is rapidly passing away. We need to understand that we have so little time to work for the Lord, even at best, here upon this earth. You know, David said long ago in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 3, he said, truly, as the Lord lives, there is but a step between me and death. You see, David realized how uncertain that life really was. And I think all of us need to ask God to help us understand how brief our sojourn really is upon this earth. Job said long ago in Job 14 verse 1, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. But I want you to think about the prayer here of the psalmist over in Psalms 39 and verse 4. His prayer must be our prayer. David prayed, Lord, make me to know mine end, the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. You know, David's not praying here, Lord, help me to understand what death is. He's not praying, Lord, help me to realize that that death is real and that death could even happen to me. David knew what death was. Even as a young teenage boy, he thrust that stone into the giant's forehead with a sling. And as a teenage boy, you talk about knowing what death is, to walk up and cut that giant's head off with Goliath's own sword. David was a military man. He, he knew what death was all about. David's not praying here, Lord, help me to realize that what uh, death is and realize that, that I could die. David's saying, Lord, help me to understand this principle to the point that it affects every aspect of my life. Realizing that my life is brief affects every decision that I make. You know, even as young people today, you know, we feel sometimes uh, young people feel like they've got their whole lives ahead of them. You need to pray this prayer. God, help me to make every decision. Help me to determine every action that I engage in in view of the fact that I could die. See, it's one thing to to know death and even understand what death is and to observe it. It's an entirely different thing to make the principle of the brevity of life to permeate the fiber of every being that you have. And so you see, for us to determine that we're going to make the Lord's church grow, we need to realize how brief our time is to spend in the Lord's kingdom. We have so little time to do so very much. And we need to understand that we just don't have a a great amount of time to work for the Lord. Our scripture reading this morning from James 4 and verse 14 reminded us of the fact that our lives are like a vapor, a mist, here for just a little while, and then they vanish away. You know, think about two extremes 
in which our lives can be lived. I think about King Saul, the first king over the nation of Israel, as he came to the end of his life. And Saul said, I have played the fool. Or I think about when the Apostle Paul's life came to a close. And Paul could say, I have kept the faith. Now, how's it going to be with you and how's it going to be with me? When we come to the end of our lives, are we going to be able to say, I played the fool like Saul? Or will we be able to say, I've kept the faith? You see, one of the great requirements for the church to grow is to realize that our lives are brief, that they are uncertain, and and we have so little time to accomplish so very much. And unless we really understand that and, and make it a part of our thinking and a part of our thought process, the Lord's work's never going to prosper as it should. But you know, in the second place, to go along with this, if we're going to help the Lord's church to grow... We have to understand that there is a day of judgment that's coming. There is a day coming in which we're going to give an account for what we've done in this brief life. Acts 17 and verse 31 talks about how that this is an appointed day. Our lives are brief, our lives are uncertain, and yet we need to realize that God has appointed a day in which all men are going to give an account, and therefore they must repent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see, for us to be motivated to go out and do what we can for the Lord, I have to understand that there is a day of judgment coming. And we need to consider the fact that that one day, and I know we've got our Minds focused on a hundred things coming up this time of the year. School's about out. Decisions have to be made. What are we going to do this summer? But in view of all these things that press upon our minds, we need to consider the fact that one day ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, our relatives, our friends, our associates, those that we work with every single day, our classmates at school, everyone, without exception, will stand before God in judgment. And we need to realize that in this brief life, we need to do everything we can to make sure we're ready for that day of accounting. And the Bible makes it clear that not nearly all those even in the Lord's church are going to be saved. It's not just good enough to be a member of the church. Matthew chapter 13 verse 41 says, the Lord is going to gather out of his kingdom, the church, all things that offend and them that do iniquity. Not only though is our lives uncertain and the judgment's coming, but keep in mind that in the judgment, we're going to be judged by the word of God. 
Jesus said, he who rejects me does not receive my words. The words of the Bible, the words of the New Testament. He hath one that judgeth him. These words that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. Now, I know a lot of our young people are preparing for the end of the year. They're preparing for finals and trying to get all their assignments done. And, of course, there's an assignment day coming for each of us when we stand before God in judgment. And one day, we're going to be judged by this book, but right now we have the privilege of studying it. We have the privilege of meditating upon its truths. And just as surely as we live and just as surely as God up in heaven exists, one day, after this brief life, we're going to stand before our God and we're going to give an account based upon the principles that we find in this word. Now, folks, if a realization of these facts will not motivate us to work for the Lord... I really don't know what will. Now, we've seen that our lives are brief and the judgment's coming. But I want to suggest that we need to realize in the next place that eternity is that which is vast indeed. Eternity is that which matters. It's the only thing that matters. It is that which is beyond our comprehension. Eternity is unending It is infinite. There just simply aren't words in human language to describe it. See, beyond the time of death and beyond the time of judgment, there is an unending, endless duration. And that is eternity itself. Now, I want you to take note of these facts. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 26... The Bible speaks of the everlasting God in heaven. In John 3 and verse 16, the Bible talks about everlasting life that God can give. And yet in Matthew 5 and verse 46, the Bible speaks of everlasting punishment. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 8, the Bible talks about everlasting fire. So when you think about it, the same word everlasting that applies to the fire and applies to the punishment also applies to the God of heaven. And in our postmodern culture today where everything has become relative, when people would tend to think today that, you know, God is a God that's good and holy and loving and gracious and you know I just cannot comprehend the idea that a God of love would cause an individual to be lost forever eternally just for a brief life of disobedience I just can't see God would do that if we tend to think that and if people tend to think that way We need to realize that God himself then is not eternal. That God himself is not everlasting because the same word that describes God and describes life, that same word also describes fire and describes punishment. 
You see, time and life are so very brief, and yet eternity is so long and is so certain. Someone once said that life is that little gleam of time between two eternities. And we need to understand that beyond this brief life that many times we're so engrossed in lies an unending eternity in heaven or in torment. Now, folks, it's going to be wonderful if we can go to heaven. It's going to be so tremendous to hear God one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. Every sacrifice that we've made, every effort that we've ever put forth in this life is going to be rewarded a million times over. We're told in Revelation 21 and verse 4 that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. All these things will have passed away. To experience everlasting, unending life forever and forever with God is such a beautiful thought. You know, the poet once said, the Stars shine over the earth. The stars shine over the sea. The stars look up at the mighty God and the stars look down at me. The stars may shine for a million years, for a million years and a day. But my God and I shall live in love when all the stars have passed away. Someone has said, if you want to to go to heaven, just turn right and keep straight. And I think it would be so wonderful if we could resolve, based upon these principles, that we're going to live our lives in such a way that we can enter through that straight gate and walk down that narrow way that leads to eternal life. But there's only two possibilities when this life is over. There's eternal life and eternal torment. There's heaven and there's hell. And I hope that we will stop and we will understand and and just realize what would take place and how we would feel and how would we react If somehow the Lord were to say to us on that final day, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Just think about what that would feel like and what that would mean. And I believe today we can help the Lord's church to grow if we can understand that our lives on this earth are so very brief. And one day I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to give an account of my life. And after that day of accounting, there lies an endless duration known as eternity. You see, when I think about all these things, it doesn't matter what kind of clothes I wear. It doesn't matter what kind of car I drive. It doesn't matter about... You know, the social circles that I run in today, all the many things that that we tend to focus all of our attention on, or at least a majority of our attention on, really doesn't matter when you think about these particular principles. Now, with these basic thoughts in mind before us this morning, I want to suggest to you that if the church is going to grow, 
we need to determine that we're not going to allow the world, we're not going to allow sin, we are not going to allow anything at all to keep us out of heaven. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world. Well, what is the world? Well, a love of the world is a love that, that takes a place in our heart that even goes above our love for God. And if we were honest with ourselves, I think sometimes we're just a little bit too happy. We enjoy being here on this earth just a, a little bit too much. John says, don't love the world. Don't love anything that's in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And John goes on to say that the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God endures forever. Remember how Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that his disciples, that we would understand how we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And I know today we're so blessed. We enjoy abundant material blessings. We enjoy all kinds of recreation. You know, we enjoy all kinds of school activities. There are just so many things today that we really enjoy. But we have to determine that we're not going to allow any event. We're not going to allow any activity to keep us from being what we need to be before God. We're not going to allow anything, any desire, any activity, any person to come between us and God. And we need to make sure that we're not going to ever allow this world and the things that are therein to come between us and the Lord. And with this realization that our lives are uncertain and the judgment is coming and, and that eternity lies ahead and we can't allow the things of this world to come between us and God in the next place, we need to resolve that we're going to be genuinely converted to the Lord. In other words, we cannot ever become satisfied with half-hearted commitment. We need to resolve that we're going to be totally converted to the Lord. You know, that's not easy to do. You know, did you realize a person can assemble every time the doors of the church house are open and not really be converted to the Lord? Have you ever thought about that? It's possible for a person to be in Bible class every time the doors are open, come for worship service, even give a significant amount of their income to the Lord. It's possible for that to happen and, and one not really be converted. Remember Peter? Peter had been with the Lord for three years. He had personally, with his own ears, heard the Lord preach time and time again. Peter, with his own eyes, had seen the miracles our Lord had performed. And yet, at the close of our Lord's life, the Lord said to Peter in Luke 22 and verse 32, Peter, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Now, I think Peter was finally converted. 
I think Peter finally understood that there's not anything more important than being converted and putting the Lord first in one's life. But you know, that word convert means to turn. It's the idea of a turning from and a turning to. You see, conversion takes place when an individual turns from sin, turns from that which is wrong, and then turns to God and that which is right. And we need to determine that we're going to be truly converted. Well, you may ask the question, how can I know if I'm converted? How can I know if my life has turned from sin and turned to God? Now, it's possible for an individual to turn away from sin. It's possible for an individual to turn away from things that are wrong in his life, but that's not conversion until one does a complete turnaround and turns to God. How can I know if I'm converted? Well, what about our priorities? You know, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. How can I know if I'm converted? Am I putting the Lord's church first in my life? Am I putting the Lord's work above anything and everything else? Have I allowed the world and activities and things and desires to come between me and being right with God? And this idea of being converted doesn't take place by accident. Conversion takes place when a person says, I intend to change my life. I intend to be a different person. I'm going to turn away from things that are wrong. And I'm going to turn to God and things that are right. I'm a little bit hesitant to, to use this as an illustration, but I think it's appropriate. Sister Doris Kaiser is here with us today, and of course, Brother Roy is at home and not doing very well at all. But you know, if Brother Roy could be anywhere else in the world, he would want to be right here today worshiping God. And Brother Roy doesn't desire to come and worship God just to be seen of other people. He doesn't want to worship God just because he's afraid he might get a phone call if he's not there. He doesn't want to come and worship God even on Sunday night or Wednesday night because he might feel guilty if he doesn't come. But you see, Brother Roy Kaiser loves the Lord. He wants to be here to worship the Lord as he has said to me on numerous occasions. And the times I've had to visit with him, he has said, the Lord's always been so good to me. He has made the statement, I don't know how I would have made it through what I've made it through if it were not for my relationship with the Lord. You see, that's what conversion is. It's not only a turning away from sin, but it's a turning to God. It's a turning to a love for God, a relationship with God. Serving God is my supreme desire in life. That's what it takes for the church to grow. Now with all these things in mind, realizing our lives are brief and the judgment's coming and we have to be converted, may I suggest quickly, if the church is going to grow in view of these principles, 
I think a natural outgrowth of this is the idea that we're going to develop a concern for souls. Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was Paul's main concern in life. For the spiritual well-being of those around him. And we need to ask God to help us to be more concerned about lost souls. To be more concerned about the lost. To be more concerned about those people that we encounter every day throughout our daily activities. And we need to consider what it might be like if that person were to die. Or if the Lord were to return. What would it be like for that individual? You see, these principles are going to motivate me to help somebody else go to heaven. These principles are going to motivate me to have enough concern about those that I know that are lost that I'm going to reach out to them with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are some things that I believe will help us to help the church to grow. Realizing our lives are brief and that the judgment's coming and that eternity's unending and how we must be truly converted ourselves and then develop a concern for the lost. And and thus in closing, may I mention the fact that all of us need to resolve that we're going to determine to work for the Lord as we never have before. As we realize these basic principles, I I think these principles taken to heart will motivate us to work for God like we never have before. You know, if we need some motivation, I can't think of any better motivation than these particular principles. There is work that we need to be involved in. There's things that we need to be doing for the Lord. And we ought to be thankful that right now we are living on time's side of eternity. And we ought to consider it to be a privilege and an honor to be a part of the Lord's work. We need to work for God not only in organized ways that the church provides, but even on our own. We need to resolve to spend time working for the Lord. There's work our young people can do. Parents, we need to teach our children to be involved in the work of the Lord. It's the greatest work on this earth. Because you see, our time is so very short and so very brief. But today, let's realize that the very same things that are essential for the church to grow are the same things that are essential for us to go to heaven. How about your life today? Are you walking down that narrow way that leads to eternal life? Are your priorities where they need to be? Is your focus where it needs to be? Are you putting the Lord first? Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? Today would be a wonderful opportunity if you've not done so to let your faith be demonstrated by changing your life and repentance, being baptized into Christ upon the confession of his name. You can leave here a New Testament Christian. This morning, the invitation is yours.